I'm Sienna. I'm the kid. I'm Sarah. I'm the mom. This is Queer Kids Straight Mom. Let's talk. Welcome back to Queer Kids Straight Mom. We are so excited to welcome Representative Zoe Zephyr back to the show. The last time we spoke to her was before the legislative season started, and a lot has happened in her world since then. Some of you may be familiar with Representative Zephyr at this point, but if you are not, she was speaking in opposition to a bill banning gender-affirming care during the Montana state legislative session when the Montana Freedom Caucus took exception to her words, censured her, and refused to let her speak. After a crowd gathered to support her in the chambers, the Montana Freedom Caucus accused her of encouraging an insurrection and voted to ban her from the floor. Despite the ban, Representative Zephyr showed up every day and worked in the hallway. She gained national attention for her tireless work for the transgender community, and we are thrilled to talk to her again and hear about this experience. Thank you so much for making time for us. Of course. I'm excited to be here again. So nice to have you back. It's been a huge, huge sequence of events for you. You kind of exploded onto the public scene. Yeah, it feels strange because you campaign in your district and you're well known in your district and you're like deeply rooted in your community there. And across the state, you're doing the work. And then suddenly it wasn't just Missoula or Montana. The eyes of the world sort of turned and looked at what was happening in our state legislature. And since then, I've been blessed to be invited into a lot of different rooms to have these kinds of conversations both in Montana and around the world. And it's been, I mean, your voice has obviously been so important in this movement, you know, in all these different forums. We really want to talk about you as a human being, though. What has it been like? Because it can be exhausting to be on the front lines of a movement and be speaking for a community. How have you dealt with that personally? You know, for me, I remember as everything was taking place in the legislature, I told myself, just focus on the next moment. Try to rise to the occasion. Just whatever, you're going to have to give a speech on this. You're going to have to give an interview on this. Just don't sort of let the horizon get away from you because that's when it can get overwhelming if you're suddenly thinking about what does it mean to be at the forefront of a movement for the next generation? It's like, no, 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 bring it in. You are in a meeting right now. You are trying to pass a bill. You are trying to convince someone on X, Y, or Z. And I think that way of living through that experience has helped ground me as I go forward. I traveled to Strasbourg, France this November to speak at the World Forum for Democracy. And that was a huge honor to be there. And it was a very humbling experience. I was the sole American politician there. And you bring that horizon in and you say, okay, nope, you're in a room with delegates from around the world, a lot of youth delegates from around the world. How do you do good in this moment? What does it look like in this moment? And so I think that's been really helpful. And then obviously having a fiance as wonderful as mine and Aaron Reed, uh, thank you so much. I'm really excited, (laughs) Um, has been uh, grounding anything that's how you deal with the moments where it can get overwhelming is you need an anchor point in your community, temporally anchor point. You need a community anchor point and you need a personal life anchor point. I'm blessed to have all three of those. That's great. Yeah. That's such an important message. It's great to hear you say that. I feel like 
I'm always trying to remind the kids when they get overwhelmed, like don't try to look down the entire road and imagine all of it. You have to like focus on the next thing. That's all that matters right now. It was a huge blessing, you know, because this was actually advice that stemmed from a therapist five years ago or so. I think she was talking to me about this when I was struggling with anxiety is she was like, you are good at planning. You're good at doing things. You're good when you're in motion. If you suddenly bring the horizon out past the point where you can do something, like take a peek there, neat, but bring it in. And especially if you feel the like analysis paralysis or the general fatigue set in, bring the horizon into whatever that point is. It doesn't have to be the next 30 seconds. If the day is really hard, maybe you are sitting hour to hour in your horizon. But if you can only plan two weeks out, two months out, don't go any farther than that because you'll limit what you're able to do. That is brilliant. That's such good advice. Yeah, thanks. Not mine, but uh, appreciate I love it. That. I will I love it. gladly pass on the therapy advice. That's a good way to put it. And that seems like that could be applicable too. We've talked a lot about how hard this year has been for transgender kids, right? Feeling really dehumanized, I think, by some of this legislation and the things that people are saying about them and their identities. Is there anything else you feel besides like, I feel like that's a good message, like make it through, you know, the next thing and the next thing. But what else would you say to kids now, young people, teenagers, whatever, to deal with this? Yeah, I think for me, it's hard, particularly the younger you are, the less there can be that sense of, oh, it, you know, that it gets better feels like just hollow words. But I know when I was doing activism work before the legislature, we had a trans teen in Montana who was facing bullying and uncomfortable treatment from classmates because they were trans. They were in choir and a group of trans adults went down to watch their choir performance and just talk to them and be like, hey, we actually are 30 minutes away from you and we have jobs. We you know, sell things at the farmer's market. We work at X, Y, and Z store. And I think that helps people see that you can make it like they're trans adults who don't just survive, but are thriving in their communities. I think that matters a ton. And then the other thing that I would say there is the legislatures have been bringing so much of this cruelty. And I know how dehumanizing it is to hear that language again and again, to have someone debate your existence and to call like the care you need to survive, to call that the myriad of cruel things that they they say about it. It's important to recognize that in our communities on the ground level, we're not seeing that extent of hate. That doesn't mirror daily life. And it does not mirror popular opinion across the country. And those two things can feel hard, especially when you know, the cruelties of high school uh, or college exist and things feel big. And think when things feel big and the world is sort of coming at you, at least legislatively, it can be hard to recognize that there are support systems all around you and we are winning the conversation across the country. 
as will be the case, the legislatures will have to be dragged kicking and screaming into allowing us our rights, just like they did with LGBTQ rights, just like they did with women's rights, with civil rights. They're often the last to come along and we're doing our best to pull them as fast as we can. Is that kind of your experience to living in Utah or going to school in Utah? That's pretty legislatively conservative place, but you feel like the people that surround you are generally accepting? Yeah. And I mean, it's obviously a bit different for a couple of reasons. Like first I'm in Salt Lake. So that's, you know, not Utah so much, but uh, I think the other thing is that it's a college campus. And so it almost feels like like schools have become so politicized, but college campuses, you know, have always been so political. But at the same time, like outside of that context, you know, outside of the the groups that are going around putting up hateful flyers on campus just to like make their point or whatever. Like when I'm actually in the community and I'm just, you know, going to the grocery store, going to the bookstore, like whatever. Yeah, I would say that's that's much more my experience. Yeah. And I think, you know, we talk about college campuses as these spaces. And it's one of the reasons that conservatives heavily target public institutions. But it's also important to note that, you know, I've traveled to a lot of small towns across the country this year as well. And in every one of those towns, there is a place that the community gathers. I talked to people who said, oh, we meet in the library. Oh, we meet in the coffee shop. Oh, we meet at this park every Saturday and just hang out. Those communities form and find places where they can feel more welcome, even in in small towns. And so you have coffee shops run by cishet couples that are just like, you know what? We wanted to make a space where you feel welcome. And sometimes planting that seed is all it takes for a town of a thousand or a town of 5,000 to feel like it is easier to move through that space as a queer person. Yeah, well, and I really like that because there's a tendency, I think, by a lot of more liberal people, a lot of more left-leaning people to just write off small towns and be like, oh, they suck. Oh, you know, there's there's no community there. And that's not true at all. And, you know, oftentimes I think, you know, they can be very challenging in a lot of ways, but there's also a lot more community than it's often easy to find in cities. And yeah, it's, it's just a balance that people don't necessarily recognize. You know, one of the one of the things that we talk about you know, when I get asked, like, will these bills ultimately succeed? Will attacks on LGBTQ people ultimately succeed? And they say, no, they won't. And the answer I give is because you're not just targeting a community that's often the cornerstone. You are targeting a group of people who are a part of every community. Even if the people on the far right got their wish and snapped their fingers and every queer person disappeared from the earth we would show back up because queer people are part of what it means to be human. And that means that these bills will ultimately fail in the end because we're a part of everything. It also means when we look to how to support our community, the work has to be done in every place that we appear, whether that is a college campus, a large city, a small town, public library, whatever. Those are the spaces we're fighting for. Absolutely. You said something about the choir at the high school. This is a little bit of a subject change, but bringing it into a personal level again, group of adults showing up for this kid and like kind of showing a thriving life just reminded me of research shows that having just one supportive adult in a transgender teen young adult's life changes suicide rates drastically. Did you have anybody that stands out in your life that was like the adult that made you feel supported and loved? 
Yeah, there's a couple. So there's outside family folks, like my boss and my boss's boss at my work, both made me feel so safe and welcome. And not just with words, but you know, at the beginning of my transition where I was still nervous about you know, bathrooms and questions around that, they changed the first floor bathroom to a gender neutral bathroom within two weeks of me coming out. And that was just like a very rapid example of them saying, hey, we're going to support you and not just through kind words and a card, but we're going to make changes to the way this office operates so that you feel safe here. That made me feel grounded. And community examples throughout Missoula, I could list a dozen or two dozen that felt that way. Within my family, my grandmother is actually a very beautiful story. I did not come out to her, but within a month or so, she had heard through the grapevine of my less supportive family that I had transitioned. And she put all the pieces together and then called me one day and didn't say, hey, I heard that you transitioned. I said, hey, grandma. And she said, oh, hey, Zoe, I just wanted to talk to you and just went forward as if I had always been her granddaughter. And it was very sweet because in the way that my grandmother had always had this like box of advice that she was doling out to her grandchildren, it's like she had a box of advice labeled grandsons and one labeled granddaughters. And she called me and was just like, anyways, I haven't given you the granddaughter advice before. And so just started doling out a ton of advice from dress code ideas that were very 1960s to... Um, you know, giving me advice on parenting and being a good mom and some of it very practical and some of it like learn an instrument. So when you go camping, you can play campfire songs for your kids because kids love campfire songs. <laughs> it was like, okay, grandma, that was never there pre-transition, but I'm glad that was in your granddaughter box for some reason. And so that was incredible. And she was supportive through and through and through. She passed away this fall. And I was very, I just feel so blessed that in the last six years of my transition, in the last six years of her life, we became way closer than we had been in the first 30 years of mine. I'm so glad that you had that person and good for her for just rising to the occasion. You're my granddaughter. I love that. It was surprisingly simple. And I think it painted a picture for me of how easy it can and should be. She loves me. And that was enough. And that was enough for her to say, all right, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this. Um, and so I, w- I wish that for everyone. Yes. Which I was also going to ask you advice for parents of transgender teens that obviously would fall into that category. And that sounds pretty, pretty amazing, pretty all-encompassing. I love you. I accept you. Yeah. I think there's, I think, two important things to to sit with. The first is depending on when the coming out is happening, how much you've been aware of, of things. Sometimes as a parent, it can feel like a light switch is being flicked. My child wasn't, and now they are. It's important to recognize that this is something very likely that your kid, uh, whatever age they are, has sat with for a long time. You know, I came out at 30 and there were five years before that where I knew and just sort of sat with it and was like, oh boy, 
And so make sure that when you approach these conversations, you don't approach them like, well, why is this suddenly happening now? Why didn't I know until now? It's like, well, because someone was feeling their feelings and working through them until they felt comfortable enough to articulate them to you. And if you come with that grace, that will help you move through the conversations a little more easily. And the second thing is you do not have to understand everything, every aspect of what this means or or what care looks like or the laws that are targeting our community to love your child. If you root yourself in that love and say, okay, this is something they've experienced for a while. Let's I'm going to sit in this space of love and we're going to talk through it. Those two things are often enough to get you to the point where you can then start reading and say, okay, you know, my child's 16. What does that mean? My child's 25. What does that mean? Uh, My child's 45. Whatever age that is, if you've rooted yourself in love and understand that your child has been going through the process of self-discovery and self-understanding longer than they've articulated to you. That will help shape your learning and help shape your understanding of who they are. Good advice. You mentioned reading, and that's something that we have talked about too. I know that I personally, because I'm really interested in psychology and I ask a lot of questions and I want to understand everything, was very much like, well, why this? Why this? What is it? And that's part of why we do this show is because Sienna is graciously willing to answer my questions. (laughs) But We've also talked about the fact that like they have expressed that not everybody wants to do that, which is, again, why we do this, because Sienna is willing to have these conversations. But for a lot of parents, it is go read because your kid does not want to answer all of your questions. You might have feel a need to understand it, but they don't want to be the one that like makes it all make sense. Yeah. And like, it's important to acknowledge right from the beginning that that's not unique to your trans teenager, your teenager (laughs) very often does not want to talk to you about a variety of things necessarily. I, you know, I remember one of my best friends transitioned at like 28 or 29 and they came out publicly to like their Facebook friends before coming out to their family, but their family was on Facebook and (laughs) they were like home for a visit when they made the coming out post and they walked downstairs and their mom went, Hey, I'm seeing a thing. And they went, Yeah, I'm trans. Look it up. I just like ran out the door. (laughs) You can't do that. Like, that's embarrassing. But their parents went and looked it up and, you know, figured some stuff out. And some people, you know, want to sit down and have a conversation. And it depends on your child's anxiety around how you're going to respond. It depends about where they're at in their life in this moment, you know. I know coming out for me to community felt scary after having some difficult uh, coming outs with my family. And so making sure that we're granting that leeway, particularly if your kid's a teenager, and then doing the work and making sure you're plugged into sources. You know, my fiance, Erin uh, Reed, has a great blog, great newsletter, where she talks about a lot of what's going on and just understanding, you know, the way that the AMA and major medical associations are talking about care, that helps. And if that's the way you want to learn, great. If you want to sit on a podcast, great. If you're like me and want to read through articles, have a blast. Um, Just do the work. Definitely. I know you have limited time. What's next for you? Great question. You know, for me, so much of the attacks 
that we're seeing against the LGBTQ community are stemming from the state level. And I see those attacks happening across Montana. And I also see, as I travel the state, how unpopular they are. And so I envision a lot of my work in this next year as helping candidates across the state who want to run and who, like me in 2021, saw what the government was doing and said, enough of this. I want to get in that room. I want to help those people run for office and get elected. I also want to make sure that I'm tracking what's going on across the country, both on LGBTQ issues and as a politician more broadly. I want to track what, what is the you know housing and tax and infrastructure sort of trends across the nation in state legislatures. And then for me, it's just a question of what rooms can I do good in right now? And sometimes that will be talking to national media about LGBTQ laws and what's going on or traveling the country to meet and help people write policy. And other times it'll be being at home in Missoula and rooting myself in my community and making sure they feel uh, supported and helping my constituents. Beyond that, Prepping for 2025. Montana doesn't meet in 24. We meet in 2025 uh, again. And so prepping legislation for that cycle and making sure that I'm ready for whatever it is that comes next as the others make their plans. I was going to ask if there's a priority you see in this next legislative session, but there's so, so many things that need. (laughs) You know, for me, um, property tax and rental relief are huge. Huge, huge, huge. They were big coming into 2023. They were big in 2021, but they were huge in 2023. And Republicans had a supermajority in the House and the Senate. They controlled the governor's office and they did nothing on that front. And people are noticing and people are screaming about it. And then the far right called for a special session in which they proposed nothing just sort of, you know, wave of the hand gimmicks uh, on property tax. And so we're going to see in 25 a populace that expects something big on property tax. And um, for me, that also means renters because our renters are getting squeezed out of the markets. People who live in the college town are struggling to put down roots there. And that can't be tenable. Uh, right now, we have tourism is a huge industry, but right now, if you're not a visiting tourist or someone who's bringing out-of-state income in, you know, doing remote work or something, it's a very hard to put down roots in many of the you know eight bigger cities and towns in Montana, particularly on the salaries that those cities and towns pay. So figuring out how to adjust that is going to be priority one for 2025. Do you ever feel like we've gotten so much attention specifically focused on, you know, being trans and advocating for trans rights that like you have a hard time bringing attention to the other things that you care about? It's funny because sometimes, sometimes yes, sometimes there are people who want to pigeonhole you. And that was true when I was campaigning. You know, there were people who like, okay, I'm going to vote for a trans candidate, but is the only thing you're going to do talk about LGBTQ people? Because there's a lot going on in the state. It's like, no, actually, that's not the case. And, you know, I did a t- recap of what I did in 2023. I posted a recap video on TikTok and it was 
like the stuff that I was working on was very diverse from Native American rights to protecting kids from abuse at troubled teen camps to LGBTQ rights to renters rights. That kind of work was a broad body of work. But people are going to try to pigeonhole. And the media is going to say, well, you're an expert on this, so I want you to talk about this. And the right's going to say, well, we don't want people to really see you as a full legislator, so we're going to try to you know, imagine you as just this snippet of yourself. And those forces exist, but I find that you know, when I'm talking to my community, we're talking about all the issues. My constituents know that I'm talking about all of the issues. The people who I'm working with on proposing legislation know that I'm someone to come to when it comes to tenants' rights. I'm someone to come to come to when it comes on housing policy. So that exists for sure. And then in the broader media, it becomes work on on that. And I did a lot of work on like TikTok and social media and digital data privacy, which I became more known for in the media as well. Doing a lot of interviews on on that when Montana tried to ban TikTok, but which is enjoined in the courts, uh, and so. It's a balance. The forces always exist, but your body of work weighs the scales in the other direction. You are doing a lot of good work, and we really appreciate having you as a voice in Montana and the country. We'll let you go in a second. I just want to leave everybody with a message of hope because there are so many difficult things right now. What gives you hope? Oh, the response. The response gives me hope. And by that, I mean the community response. When I travel the country, I see people caring for one another. I see people who are helping to support people on the ground, both in our community and allies around our community. And that's true regardless of the size of the town. I see the response from people who just pissed. You know, they don't actually care one way or the other about LGBTQ people, which is fine. They don't have to. But they see people who spent all session targeting LGBTQ people and not addressing the variety of things they do care about. And they're tired of that. They see people who turn into bullies and they're tired of that. That response is uplifting. Broader trends across the country where polling is supporting us, where far-right candidates, you know, I think Moms for Liberty, the far-right sort of school board group, they lost, I think, 73% of their elections in 2023. That is stuff that gives me hope. And that, you know, they lost X percentage and the polling says this, that's high level noodly support. As you get down into community responses and individual responses, that's what gives me hope. That's what gives me hope. And then people like my fiance doing the work alongside me, Mm -hmm. it feels, it's easy to have hope when you feel like, you know, two pedals on the bike. I push and then she pushes in a different lane and I push and she pushes and the work feels light and that leaves room for help. Yeah. That's, and it was probably easier to maintain forward progress when one of you can keep the momentum going when the other one lags. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, thank you again. It's been so great talking to you and yeah, we're just really excited to get to have you on our show and you are doing so much great work. And get your perspective, which is always, we're just always impressed by your insights too. So you're very kind. It's so lovely to be back here and get to like reconnect after, you know, what was a very busy legislative session and then a very 
big change of circumstance um, in my life. And it's lovely to reconnect with y'all. I'm grateful for the work you're doing down there. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Get some rest. You as well. Much love and happy new year. Happy new year. Thank you. Thanks. We are so glad we got to share this interview with our listeners. We find representative Zephyr inspiring and hope you have enjoyed the conversation. On our next episode, we are going to talk about the history of drag. People dressing in drag have been around for a long, long time, folks. This is not a new thing. And also, the meaning of drag itself has changed as gender norms have changed. We think there is a lot that should be fun to talk about. In the meantime, stay warm. We'll catch you next time. If you found this podcast helpful, interesting, or just mildly amusing, please consider rating and reviewing us on your podcasting platform of choice. It really helps us to get the word out there and spread this information as far as we can. And as always, check out our website at QueerKidsStraightMom.com or visit us on Facebook, QueerKidsStraightMom, Instagram at QueerKid.StraightMom or Twitter at QueerKidSTR, the number eight mom. And if you're feeling especially generous, please consider joining our Patreon by searching Queer Kids Straight Mom. It helps us fund this podcast.